Hi, this is Pastor Craig. Thank you for tuning in for the latest episode of my podcast. I hope you enjoy it. You can contact us at studyhiswordministries at yahoo.com. Thanks again. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, so he starts out in verse 16, he says, above all. Okay, above all, that's like most importantly. Um, of all these things I'm mentioning, above all, most importantly. Take, taking the shield of faith. Now, remember, this armor is a picture of a Roman soldier, and he's using these metaphors. The shield that a Roman soldier would have had was what they called a large body shield, and it would have been between two and three feet wide and probably about four or five feet tall. The whole idea is that's a shield to protect your whole body. So he's saying, take take the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench All the fiery darts of the wicked one. The fiery darts that he, that picture is, again, it's taken from real life situation. What they they would do, soldiers would do, is they would take their arrows and they would like, there was like this tar substance that they would put on the ends of it and they would light that on fire and then they would shoot this flaming arrow at you. So you had this flaming arrow at you. So he uses that picture as the uh, picture of what Satan sends our way, a flaming arrow, a fiery dart. So that's the picture that he's giving here. The whole idea being that your faith is the shield that's going to protect you from Satan. And what exactly, how is this faith, what is this faith? Basically, it's the basic trust that we have in God and his word. That's what our faith is. It's our trust in God and his word that what he says he is doing and can do and will do, we have that faith that he'll do it. We have that trust that he'll do it. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So what is it that overcomes the world? What is it that, that helps us have victory over Satan? Our faith. Um, a good picture of faith in action, um, as we're talking about it here, is think of Job, okay? All of the trials and tribulations and tragedies and and horrible things that happened to faith or to Job, Job was able to sustain himself and live through it based on what? Based on his faith. And I think that's probably the best picture that we have of it. No matter what came his way, Job's way, even when he didn't have any clue or reason or understanding of why all this horrible stuff was happening, he trusted God. And, and it was through his faith and trusting God that prevented him from totally giving up, from ending it all, from denying God. He never denied God because of his faith. Turn to 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 
says, No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Several things I want to say about this. This is a very familiar verse. We've all heard it. We've all used it. This is a verse gets, that gets thrown around a lot and gets used in a lot of circumstances. Um, when Lots of times when people are going through you know, family sickness, death, things like that, people like to pull out this verse and say, hey, you know, God will never put more on you than what you can bear. This is, that, this is that God doesn't put more on you than what you can bear verse. But we need to understand it in its proper context. The proper context, if you go back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1 up to this point, he, Paul is talking about sin. He's talking about sin. And so then when you read this here, it says, No temptation. Temptation for what? Temptation to sin. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will what? Will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What he's saying there is, no matter how strong the temptation to sin, God will provide you the protection and the way out so that you don't have to sin. How does that relate to what we're talking about? It's that faith. It's that trusting in God. It's that knowing that no matter what temptation comes my way, through my faith, through my trust in God, I can bear it. And there's always a way out of it. That's the point there. Well, it, it, it's usually used, as I said, it's usually used when someone's going through something like a sickness, a death, a loss of a job, you know, trials and tribulations. And they're usually that verse is like, well, you know, you'll get through. God will never put more on you than what you can bear. Well, that's applicable to the point that whatever you're going through, if that's a temptation to sin or to turn your back on God, that's true. But we tend to use it as a catch-all phrase for anything that's happening in our life. Well, don't worry, God never puts more on you than what you can bear. And that's not really what it says. It doesn't say that God putting it on you. What it's saying is when the temptation comes your way, God will never allow you to be tempted more than what you can bear, and he provides a way out. So we've got to look at it in the proper context, and it's the context of what our faith does for us. Our trust in God allows us to withstand any temptation that comes our way because God is not going to, be, not going to allow us to be tempted beyond our, beyond our ability through him to stand up against temptation. When we submit to temptation, we uh, missed the opportunity to avoid it through our own weaknesses. Okay, so that's, that's what Paul's saying here. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith, most important thing, above everything else, take your shield of faith because that's what will allow you to stand no matter what Satan sends your way. And Satan's going to send a lot of stuff your way. But that's what will allow you to stand it. Right. The other thing, too, they would do sometimes when they were uh, out there and they would recoat their shields, they would actually even put oil on it. 
because oil would do the same thing as the water. It would, it would quench that fire, that dart that would come by there. Verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation. The helmet protects the head. The head was an easy target. Best way to kill somebody. One of the best ways to kill somebody is through head wounds. So the helmet was to protect the head allowed you protection for your head, but you still had the ability to see as opposed to holding the shield up in front of your face. This way the shield would protect your body, the helmet would protect your head. It says, take, and take the helmet of salvation. Now understand here, Paul is talking to people who are believers. Paul is talking to people who already have received the gift of salvation. So when he says, take the helmet of salvation... He's not saying, you know, get salvation, but what he's saying is take that salvation that you already have and use it to protect you. How? Well, one of the biggest ways that Satan will destroy us is through our head, through our mind, by causing doubt and discouragement. And I think anybody who's ever been a Christian at some point in time has probably experienced doubts and discouragement. Um, So what he's saying is, put on that helmet of your salvation so that you're not attacked by Satan. Um, John chapter 6. Okay, John chapter 6, verses 37 through 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. There is your assurance. He says that everyone that the Father sends to me I will receive and I will keep, and that he will lose nothing. Satan wants to put that doubt in your mind about whether or not you're really saved. But Christ himself said, all, all that are sent to him, he will receive and he will protect. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, starting in verse 31 through verse 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up, him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, and we know that he's speaking specifically about Satan and demons when he says, Nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in the Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is very clear there that nothing can separate us from Christ. Now again, Satan wants you 
to doubt your salvation, wants you to have doubts. And quite honestly, uh, there are churches that teach you can lose your salvation, that you're not, that once you're saved, you're not always saved. If you have a genuine salvation, it cannot, you cannot lose it. And Paul's telling us here to put on that helmet of assurance of our salvation. Like I said, there are churches that teach that you can lose your salvation. And I quite honestly believe that they, those churches are playing right into the, the hands of Satan. Because anytime you teach that a person can lose their salvation, then two things happen. First of all, I live my life always in doubt. I live my life wondering, you know, oh, you know, those sins that I committed last week, have I lost my salvation? And then, then the other thing that happens is, then I'm constantly, what do I have to do to get my salvation back? I've got to do this. I've got to do that. So now it becomes a works program. So when, you, when, when you're taught that you can lose your salvation, you're always in doubt, which is exactly what Satan wants you to do. And then you're constantly focused on what is it that I have to do? And you remove the sovereignty of God. You've put yourself in a situation where you think it's about you and what you have to do. So Paul is saying, so that we have this hope of our assurance. And that's where our hope, that's where our hope comes from, is that knowing the assurance that we have of our salvation. That's where the hope comes from, that we know, that we have the assurance. Okay. The second half of verse 17, he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's our Bible, the Word of God. Now, when he says here, um, the sword of the Spirit, I've seen a lot of, over the years, um, drawings, you know, artwork, whatever, where they take these verses of Ephesians and it's, you know, a, a depiction of what a Roman soldier would look like as it relates to this here with the helmet and the, you know, the shield and everything. And I think there's only one time that I ever saw it that it was actually correct. Most of the times when I've seen depictions of it, it's usually one of, they usually got like the soldier standing there and he's got one of these swords, you know, that's like three feet long or four feet long, you know, this really mean looking sword, which is good because as you read through here, of the six items mentioned, only one is a weapon. The first five are all things to protect us. They're forms of protection. The only weapon that we're told to have is the sword. So you see a picture of this guy. He's got this big three-foot, four-foot sword, and that's a pretty wicked weapon. The problem is that's not really what it says. In the description here, the word that's used to describe the type of sword, it's actually more like a dagger. It would be a little small little dagger type sword with the blade being anywhere from about eight inches long to about 14 inches long. Okay, that's what Paul's referring to here. And the reason why I believe that he picked that word because that word for that kind of a sword is what the word does for us. A small dagger is very precise and it's very specific. I'm going to engage a person very close. I'm not swinging some big old sword around just chopping and trying to cut this and try to chop that. I've got a small one, so I'm going to be in close combat and I'm going to be very specific and very deliberate and very precise in where I attack. And that's the whole idea of this sword being the Word of God is it, it gives us the specific uh, weapon to use against Satan. 
When he says word, the word of God, our Bible, the word of God, there's two Greek words for that. And I know that you're going to be very familiar with these. I didn't bother with the Greek words for the, for the sword and the dagger and everything because, you know, not going to be words anybody's heard of. But when, he's, when that word, word is here, there's two Greek words. There's the Greek word rhema, and there's the Greek word logos. And we're all familiar with logos. Logos, uh, we see that in John 1. John chapter 1, we says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And that word, that's the Greek word, logos. And it's kind of a general, overall word. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word... You know. The word rhema actually means an utterance or a topic. It's a specific word. So what Paul is saying here says, take the sword of the Spirit, take that small dagger, and which is the word, which is the specific word, the utterance. And the idea here being is that when we're tempted by Satan and when we're challenging, fighting back, we're using not the whole word of God. We're using the specific word of God for that situation. Perfect picture of this. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. So this, this word, this uh, sword, our specific use of the word, our specific parts of Scripture allows us the specific application for the specific circumstance. We can, we can use the Scripture where it applies. I had you turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse, verses 1 through 11. This is when Jesus is tempted by Satan. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread, which is Satan quoting Scripture. Verse 4, But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Again, Satan quoting scripture. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. My point here is this. When... when Christ was tempted by Satan. Twice, Satan quoted or used Scripture to tempt. Satan twists Scripture. Satan deceives by his use of Scripture. And in every one of those three temptations, Christ responded with a specific Scripture to fend off Satan's attack. And that is the power of God's Word. It gives us the power to fend off Satan. That is why it is so important that we study our Scripture every day. That is why it is so important that we study Scripture so that we know Scripture so that when we're tempted, we already have 
our sword in our hand. We know how to respond to that specific situation that we're being tempted in because that is our strongest attack against Satan is to be grounded in the Word and to know what God's Word says. That's the purpose of the sword. So we saw here this morning that that our faith, our shield, is that trust that we have in God. That our helmet is our hope of salvation. And why do we have that hope? We have that hope of salvation because of the assurance of our salvation. The assurance of our salvation is what gives us the hope. And finally, we have God's Word, which is the only, as I said, the only weapon actually listed there. And why is it the only weapon? Because it's the only weapon that we need, and it gives us what we need to fend off Satan. Again, why we need to be in the Word every day. Scott, would you close us in prayer, please? Thanks again for listening. Please make sure that you hit the subscribe button so you will not miss a single episode of our podcast. Have a great day.